Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Eating Crow with Pete Durand. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Eating Crow. We have Mike Ciroc Sirocco on the program today. Mike is a he's a much more famous podcaster than I am. <laughs> Come on, man. I don't and know he, about that. He wears a lending suit by day, which we're going to talk about his day job and how he balances that and his social media activities and his podcast. He's a busy guy. So, Mike, welcome. Peter, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. I always like to, you know, when I first come on a podcast, really express gratitude for the opportunity to be here and share with you and your audience, man, because it it's an honor for me to do that. So thank you. Well, you've done a lot of them. So I appreciate the fact that you feel that way every time you get on a podcast. I, I had the chance of meeting Roger Clemens at one time, and he was exactly the same way. Very famous dude. One of my man, favorites. He recognized, I took batting practice off of Roger. Did you really? Did he I, throw I, at you? He did. <laughs> he did. He, I, th- I hit one to the fence, though. I felt pretty good about it. But uh-huh. just a genuine guy. And he, he recognized that this is how he's going to be remembered as if he treats people well. And he certainly does. And I've met a couple other people who were in the same shoes and didn't. So congratulations. And you've got a lot yeah, of success on social media. So I appreciate the fact you're taking the time. So, you know, Mike, why don't you tell the folks on the show, what did you do by day and how the podcast got started? Because they're somewhat intertwined and I think you've used them well. So just describe that. Well, first of all, I've been in the mortgage business since 2006. I was a top producing real estate agent prior to that. I went to work for my best friend who was my mortgage guy when I was a real estate agent. Interesting. And we had like a, a boiler room and we were like in cubes and we were calling refinance leads and it was, it was fun. Bunch of guys, it was like a locker room, hanging out. And then 2008 happened and everything came crumbling down. And a lot of the guys I worked with couldn't get licensed like you were required to at that time. And so our, our boiler room shrunk and it got really small and it was kind of depressing. But I, one thing I did, Peter, is I, I journaled and paid attention. I'm very observant. I paid attention to what was going on. I watched the media. I watched politicians. I watched the economy. I watched it all just to, to observe for future because I knew that this wouldn't be the last time something like this happened. Mm-hmm. So that benefited me in the long run. But at, from that point, I was a loan officer at that time. I decided, my partner said, hey, there's no reason that we can't go out and start building our own thing and do it the right way. And we made that decision. And just the two of us went out and started trying to build branches and recruit people. And very slowly but surely, it took us about seven years to get to like $10 million in annual revenue. And it came crumbling down really fast. I'm giving you the short version real quick, but it came crumbling down because the leadership of that company that we worked for didn't honor culture. And so we ended up having to move companies after having money was missing from our, you know, our, our accounts. And I picked 22 employees up and and moved them with my partner to a new company where we are now nations. And we got back to that 10 million revenue in two years. Wow. So because of being observant and, and making sure you understand and learn from things that you go through. So while we were at Nations, this new company, I was telling my, my employees and some of the new younger guys, guys, we got to get out. We got to be on social media. We got to do this. We got to do that. Yeah. And I was analyzing what I was doing to myself and what I was doing for them. And, and I was thinking, I'm not holding up my end of the bargain. I'm just talking a lot, but I'm not really showing them. So I said, you know what? I'm done with that. I need to do it. So I started hitting the phones more where, where I shouldn't really have been doing that. 
and basically showing them how easy it actually is. Mm -hmm. And then I started going on social media and then I met Grant Cardone. Mm -hmm. And my stepfather who came into my life at 11 years old after my dad basically gave up on me, was my mentor. And in 2019, January, 2019, he suddenly passed from a heart attack. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I, I wasn't ready to go on without a mentor. And I was, I was ready to take the torch myself and be a mentor, which I had been, but not go without one. And that's right when I ran into Grant Cardone and he stepped right in and it was a timing thing. And he showed me the animal that I've always had inside of me. He validated to unleash that animal. And it's okay for that animal to come out and want more and want to help people and want to push people and for all the right reasons, of course. And from that point on, I, I just, one lesson he taught is that you can't get any money unless people know who you are. Mm -hmm. You got to get out of obscurity. You got to become a celebrity in your space. So I started telling my guys like, look, we can't just be you know, known on the local market level. We need to be known globally. And they're like, how the hell are we going to do that? So I, I went on a podcast, one of my buddies' podcasts, and I'm like, this is easy. I can do this. So I started thinking, man, I got to have a podcast because if I do a podcast, I know I can get known all over the globe because I'm going to just go hard at it. And then what happened from there was I told my story to a couple of people, which I thought was an ordinary story growing up in a broken home and dad giving up on you and the, the drama and being around broken people, which I can get into later if you like. But when I started telling people that story, Peter, they started being like inspired by it. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm like, what the heck is going on here? Yeah. So I said, well, this is powerful. Let me start sharing my story. And then I started encouraging other people to share their story and it just blossomed from there. So the, what are you made of podcast took off pretty quickly within a, a year that it was in, in play and it's just getting now just getting started to really go. So. Well, and it's, it's expanded well beyond your industry. Yeah, absolutely. So, and you're absolutely right. You said something early on, you, you need to be famous in your own industry. And people don't realize the power of a B2B podcast or a B2C podcast, right? If you, there's, there's people out there I know that are doing podcasts about basket weaving. If you're the best podcast in basket weaving, it's going to make a difference in your marketplace. And one of the reasons I reached out to you is I saw, I saw a lot of your content, saw some of the podcasts. And first of all, you're an extremely handsome, bald guy. So that's why we're both wearing baseball caps right now. <laughs> uh, know your role. And you're also a family guy, right? So I yeah. think that's a big part of your story. You talk about your family a lot. I do as well. It weaves into leadership. You can't be a good husband or father if you can't be a good leader. You can't do one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just got back from Mexico for a week with the family just last night and it was a great time. And I was able to, to really spend a good quality time with my wife, first of all, and then each individual child, which I have two. And yeah, you know, to me, I, I always look at when I wake up in the morning, how can I be the most valuable person to my wife, to my kids, and also a role model? I understand that they're always watching me. They watch how I respond to things. They watch how I initiate things. They watch where I am during the day and everything. So, so to me, that's an accountability thing that for me, I like, because I know if left to my own devices and everybody's like this, you're going to go back to your default position. Mm -hmm. And that default position does not get you anywhere in life. So to me, family is not just a relationship, but it's also a great accountability thing for you to make sure that you're the best at, at you know, anything that you're doing, because you want your kids and, and your wife, your spouse to also strive for, for greatness. So, and your employees do the same thing. Exactly. They follow yeah. all. So my very first question you answered before I even asked it. And I was going to ask you who your very first hero was. And you mentioned your stepdad. Now, you know what, before that, I would say it was my dad. See, I came from a broken home. I don't remember my parents together. 
and I, I decided to live with my dad for about three years from eight to 11. Okay. And during that period of time, there's a lot of conflict with child support, conflict with custody, step parents being jealous of, you know, whatever, all this stuff going on. And I'm an eight year old kid trying to figure this stuff out, all mm-hmm. this stuff going on above me. And so one thing I've always been is stubborn. I've known the right thing to do. And I always strive to do the right thing. When other people weren't, I always had a problem with that. And I didn't like to give broken people an out by just saying that they were just broken. I wanted to try to fix them. Mm. So anyway, uh, I, I was in a bad environment and I decided to get out. So my mom filed court papers and my, I came home from school one day. My dad had these legal papers in his hand and he said, go to your room. So I sat in my room for about five minutes, which felt like about five hours sitting there as an 11 year old, just waiting for him to come back. And I knew what was in the envelope, you know, obviously. And so my dad was my hero. He, uh, he was a hardworking Mason. He still is. I think I don't mm-hmm. get to see him anymore. not by my choice, but block layer, brick layer, concrete, had big forearms, rough hands. And I always looked up to him for that. Sure. Peter, he also had a lot of hundred dollar bills in his pocket. You know, I'm Italian. So oh, yeah. uh, I looked up to that, man. He had a rubber band around it and all that. And he always used to flash it. And, and so that, that was some symbolic to me of, I don't know, power, strength. So anyway, when he confirmed with me that I wanted to move with my mom and leave him, he had, obviously he was hurt by that. And he took that water hundred dollar bills out and said, well, peels one off, crumples up, throws it at me and says, here, you're going to need this when you're living on the streets with your mother one day. So at that point, my hero, I feel like I'm a fighter in a ring and my, 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 my trainer throws in a towel on me. And I just thought to myself, there's no way you're going to determine my future. Yeah. Like I, I'm not that you're not the one that's going to determine that I am. And number two, I thought it was an ordinary situation. I was like, you know what? I can't be the only one in this situation. I got to be able to be that role model I was telling you about and help others, others that were given up on. So from that point, you know, at 11 years old, going into my mom's house now, who she had a new husband. His name was George. That was my stepfather. That was that became my hero, my mentor. Although we banged heads a lot because he was hard on me, um, in a good way. Um, he was black and white. He said, you know, if you do good things, good things happen. You do bad things, bad things happen. So it's very simple in life, man. And he was always at my sporting events. Taught me to have, you know, throw throw football, throw baseball, hit all that stuff. He he was always at the games, and he didn't have a lot of money though, Peter. He could stretch a dollar a long ways. So that was one thing he just wasn't good at, I guess, making sure. money. But he had everything else. And so that that came into play. And it's funny how you watch over your life if you look back who your mentors or heroes were and how they changed and what parts of your life you needed those different people. So well, for an eleven year old to make that conclusion like you're not going to dictate my future, that's pretty strong for an eleven year old. And you mentioned the physical aspects of your dad that you looked up to. You know, my dad was a wrestler in high school, really modest, quiet guy, but he was a badass. And when I I can remember this to this day, he would go for a run. I was raised in Milwaukee in the middle of winter and come back from a five mile run in the snow and steam would be coming off of him. He'd be sweating this big vein along this. And literally, he had this big vein. And I thought, that is the coolest thing in the world. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And you mentioned your stepdad, the fact that he could stretch a dollar, didn't have a lot of money, but the most important things he needed to bring to you at that particular time he brought. Right. Exactly. I yep. mean, I, and I, and I carry those things forward and you know, I'm sure there's some bad things like, you know, he, he used to yell, he never hit us, but he had this deep voice, man. And he would yell at us, man. And I, I would straighten up, but I think I do that sometimes to, to this day. Like if I'm not getting something that I need, 
in a, in a timely manner, like as far as telling the kids to do something or, hey, don't do that. And then they keep doing it 15 times. And you're like, you, you, you know, I don't, I don't hit my kids. So next step, hey, you know, raise your voice. So there's some things that, you know, I don't like to do that. But you take the good with the bad. And, and overall, uh, everybody loved George. And uh, I'm lucky to be in the position I am today because of him, because who knows where I would be if he wasn't there when I was 11. Well, I'm sorry for his passing. And it sounds like you had uh, brothers or sisters involved with that as well. Tell us, tell us about that. Yeah. So my, my younger sister, Kim, was not his daughter. and He took us in like his own. And then he had two more sons. And my younger brother, Casey, he works with me now, actually, in okay. the mortgage industry. And uh, he, he's a great kid. And same thing, man. He was in baseball and sports. And George was right there. And, you know, when George passed, the funny thing is, when George passed in 2019, Casey and I both had this this feeling and I'm not expecting anybody to believe me. I'm just telling you like, like mm -hmm. it is and what, what I experienced, but we both had this feeling of like a passion. See, George was real passionate, by the way, like quiet until you talked about baseball, fishing, hunting, crabs, deer, uh, any Philadelphia sports, <laughs> he would jump off the couch and get right up in your face and like happily and just talk about it. I mean, of course you would. Voice, right. And so that passion, like I felt something that like a week later, Casey and I both talked about this. Something came into us like a spirit or an energy. Mm -hmm. And now like this mission that I'm on to help build people and teach people about the rocket fuel concept, which we'll get into later. Yeah. I, I haven't been tired at all. I don't get dulled. I'm, I'm like so fired up about it since that point. And I feel like I owe it to him to carry that, carry that on. And so, yeah, so that's it. I, I, again, I don't believe, you know, I, I don't want people to think that this guy's crazy or what have you. I really don't care actually, but it's a passion like spirit energy something that's that's gotten into us well of course there is how can it not be i mean if you spent this much time with this person and you remember all the things the specific things about being at your sporting events how he yelled how we how we could i mean when you describe jumping off the couch to talk about a philadelphia sport that's passion <laughs> well there's a lot of philly sports fans that are like that <laughs> absolutely but you know, it, it kid your your first point early in the conversation kids observe so much and they're paying attention to absolutely everything you do and say and don't say. And I had a guest on one of my first podcasts, a guy named Rich Font, who said just one of the most ingenious things. He said, if I've had a long day and I'm cranking out my last piece of work and I notice my kids' doors are closed, I need to get up. And he goes, I go in the room and I might just say, hey, are you okay? Or do you want to play Xbox or go through the football or whatever it is? But I go see them and I said, Rich, there's genius in, in that very movement that most parents, literally most parents miss. Number one, you noticed. The fact that you noticed there was something off about your kid's behavior. And number two, then you got off your ass and engaged. That's, that's If you boiled parenting down to those two things, that would, that would solve a lot of problems. If yeah. you're in, you know, it just, it just would. So good for you that, that you take those lessons on and you're, and you're passing them on to your kids and. You know, I, I want to step into the business that you started and you mentioned you, you started this with your three best friends. What about these guys made you feel like you could do this? Well, first of all, there was other guys involved in, in, at some point in time as well, but there's mm -hmm. a bunch of us that went to high school, well, elementary, high school, college together. And then when he ended up working together and think that knowing someone very well, even if they have weaknesses, you know what their weaknesses are, you know what their limits are, you know what their strengths are. Knowing those things helps big time because mm -hmm. when you hire someone brand new, a lot of times you don't know those 
strengths and weaknesses. But the other thing is, is that we have an uncanny ability. Well, at least I do, and they're developing it. I'm better at it than they are. They'll admit it. But of calling each other out, calling each other's bullshit out, calling if somebody needs to step it up, just calling them out and saying, hey, man, you know, get your shit together. They might have their feelings hurt for a minute, but then we get over it. Mm-hmm. We can have um, my, my one buddy, Jason, that works with us. Our families are really good, you know, tight. My wife, we went on vacation just recently together to Mexico. My wife and his wife, good best friends. My son's the same age as his son, daughter, same thing. Hang out. Yeah. But we, we were in a pizza shop one time and the families are sitting there eating. And, you know, I, I had a very strong opinion on something and I let him know about it. And then he wanted to defend himself. We were going at it right from the family and everybody in the pizza shops looking at us. And then like within five minutes, I'm, I think there was a basketball game, college basketball. I was like, did you see that play? And then we're right back at it, you know? So we don't hold grudges. We can say what we got to say and get it out of the way. We just have that ability. The tough part about it is, is that holding ca- hold each other accountable. And we have to be, when we have a leadership position like this and we have employees, if we're not holding up our end of the bargain as leaders, it's looked upon a lot worse because they think that they're in that position just because of the relationship. Sure. Which I remind my team all the time about. Like we cannot let that happen. Mm-hmm. We have to be extra vigilant of that. And so, but what has allowed us to do it? I mean, I don't know. Just we've become good friends. We played sports together, football teams. We've been through so much together that I think it's just uh, natural that we carry it on. And uh, I don't know. It's very. It's, we have a great culture because of it too. Well, congratulations, because a lot of people seek that kind of culture. Yep, thank and you. you mentioned holding people accountable. We we brought a new CFO in who I think has raised the bar for everyone around us in our company. He's holding us all accountable in a constructive way. He's just literally standing, we need to step our entire game up. Well, when and you, by the way, most leaders don't hold each other or hold others accountable because they're not holding themselves accountable. Uh, absolutely. It starts with themselves. And when they have that problem, that conflict internally, they won't hold others accountable. And then the company suffers, which is a shame. Well, and people, most people don't know how to listen well. So when you call out your buddy, Jason, it says a lot that Jason can listen, step back from it and go, yeah, Mike's probably right. I got to bring, I got to, I got to change my game here. A lot of people just get defensive and want to crawl into a hole. When you open up your, your ego to feedback, it changes the game, man. For me, it's energizing. I get energized when somebody holds me accountable. I love it too. It's like, man, you know, good for you. That's you're raising the bar for everybody. Yep. So that's, that's awesome. When you think about, potentially your, your business and the combination of being an entrepreneur, you know, kind of starting this podcast and this whole social thing. What's the biggest thing that keeps you up at night, Mike, when you go to bed? I mean, what's the thing that freaks you out? Well, uh, first of all, we had that one mortgage company when we left and you know, when that owner did what he did, which I take responsibility for, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not, I don't hold anybody accountable except for myself on that. I, I, I felt like I had 22 employees and their families looking at me like now what? Mm-hmm. And the first time ever I broke down in my kitchen in front of my wife, it was a really dark time because we had money stolen from us. We had to pick up and find a new company. It was like, I just never been through anything like that before. Yeah. And I've just remembered to myself, like telling myself after I broke down, I'm like, I can't take this anymore. I got to, I'm not going through this feeling. It was like a month or two of just like stress and being like paralyzed. And I'm like, this ain't happening again. So what I did was I, I basically, I said I had enough and I came up with a concept called rocket fuel. Mm. And basically that is, it's like proactive resiliency. Mm-hmm. We're all going to go through setbacks. We're all going to deal with negative people. We're going to deal with assholes. We're going to deal with difficulties, letdowns. Mm-hmm. But if you ahead of time can know that 
and not just remove those things. By the way, Peter, the things that stop you from getting to a goal and getting to an accomplishment is not the encouraging people, right. supportive people. It's not the wins that you have. Mm-hmm. It's all that other negative stuff. So not just eliminating those things, but if you can actually convert those things into rocket fuel for your future, mm-hmm. game's over. You're unstoppable. And so I figured that out during that one period of time and started practicing it and honing it in and understanding that I'm looking for setbacks. That's my fuel. I need that. This is a training session. This is going to propel me. It's not just going to. So, so I didn't get free. I don't get frozen in setbacks anymore. Mm-hmm. People, negative people. I, I don't, I don't have time. I can get rid of them. No big yeah. deal. I'm going to go get more. I have that confidence now. And so when I came up with this concept, I'm like, holy cow, I got to bottle this. I got to get this out to people. So matter of fact, I'm writing a book right now. It's just went up for pre-sale today, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Rocket Fuel. Yeah. And it's going to change millions of lives because a lot of people, I've heard people talk about this concept before. I've heard people talk about comebacks and, and how to recover and this and that. But nobody's talking about proactively looking for it and converting it into fuel. And so that's what this book's going to do. And I'm, I'm proud and excited to get it out. But I forget your original question, honestly. <laughs> I asked what your biggest fear was. Biggest fear is, is basically going back to that feeling that I had. Yeah, that drives you. Absolutely. And I never want to go there again. And I keep reminding my team when I'm hard on you guys, you got to understand, I, I, you may not have been there. You don't know what it felt like. It's miserable. And I don't want anybody to feel like that. So I'm going to drive you so we never feel like that. And so that, and then being known, like I'm obsessed with getting known, not, not from my ego, mm-hmm. but it is strictly so that I can impact millions of people. I can't, I can't impact millions of people if I don't go to get known. So I'm always thinking to myself, am I doing enough? Mm-hmm. Am I doing enough? Am I having enough success in getting known? To, to be able to inspire people. So that's that's the stuff that keeps me up. So when you think about the podcast, you think about LinkedIn and you think about Instagram, you've got what, almost a half a million followers on Instagram. Is that right? 200 some thousand. Yeah. yeah. How, how did you build that? So two years ago, two years ago, I made a commitment to figure it out. I need to get known, right? Mm-hmm. And I started figuring out different ways and I started meeting people and networking events and, and online and just through the podcast. And then I started looking at people, okay, how do I figure out how to get something? The only way I could figure it out was, is find people that already did what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Or they're, they're on the journey to the end game of where I want to be. And I just started asking questions. And then I start, if it's somebody that's really unreachable, I start paying for access. Now, a lot of people won't do that. They're mm-hmm. like, well, I don't want to pay for it. Why would I pay for it? Why would I pay for a meeting with someone? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started figuring out that's what, this is a secret, by the way. I'm giving you guys this little secret here. This is what successful celebrities, powerful people do that want something. Mm-hmm. They just go find out how to get it. And if it costs money, they'll buy it. Right. And it's not, there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's buying access. And by the way, when you do that, I've had some of the craziest friends that you'd never, I would have never thought I would have met in my life. Right. Hollywood actors, celebrity sports that, that I've never knew. I mean, no chance of meeting, no chance right. of being friends with, but because I either had them on my podcast or paid for access to be somewhere where they were, mm-hmm. it gives you that. And then you become friends and build relationships. Sure. So, so that's where it started. I just started listening to those people. And then when I do from there, as I just put out so much content, then, then people just start engaging with it and telling friends and family about it. So when you, when you do the podcast and you put all this content, do you have somebody that helps you with that? Absolutely. Yeah. So you cannot do anything spectacular in life with it just by yourself. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. Absolutely impossible. Golfers are individual sport. They have coaches and teams, divers, swimmers, Michael Phelps. 
individual people have teams. Yep. So my social media, I have, uh, there's probably 30 people behind the scenes for the podcast, the social media, the engagement, the book. I mean, all that kind of stuff. It's, and I just added, by the way, I added one person at a time as needed. And I went through some people, but nothing's done by yourself. People don't cost money. You know, I buy time from people is basically what it is. And so for some, the ordinary individual might have 40 to 80 hours a week to work. I have that for me. And then I can buy the other people's time and add to that. So I'm multiplying the time that I have to, to put into things. And so I can move faster. And that's why this thing, this movement that I started about a year and a half ago has moved so fast is because it's not just me doing it. So are you running that in parallel with the business or is it part of the business? Well, so I, I think anything that you do once you have your main gig is to make sure it's aligned with what your main gig is. Sure. So the podcast is aligned in the fact that it's getting known so that when we recruit other employees that I have the credibility, they just, it's an attraction model. They want to work for us. Absolutely. I have a thing called agent liftoff where we bring real estate agents onto part of the podcast. It's a spinoff of what are you made of? And we give the agent exposure and then we follow up with them and get business from them. Um, it, everything's in line. And then I coach and speak and I coach realtors. I coach other loan officers. We're getting ready to start an actual morning meeting, which sounds crazy if you don't know what this is, but nobody likes meetings, but except that, you know, if they didn't see our meeting, they like them. Mm -hmm. So we build culture through our meetings, especially being remote. A lot of loan officers right now do not have good cultures, good management, good leadership. They don't have sales meetings. They have nothing. They're on their own. So we're putting out a thing right now, 9am where they can come in. And for 20 minutes, we just get them fired up for the day and help with any challenges that they have. And they don't even have to work with us. We're just mm -hmm. going to develop relationships and get out of obscurity with them. Later on, if they say they want to come work for us, that's up to them. That might be a byproduct. But at the end of the day, it's just helping and pushing out like plenty of value to people and helping build relationships. So it has to align to answer your question. I know that was a long round. No, round it's, of answer. it's right in the money. And I, I think people forget the importance of the power of a podcast. Podcast is long form content. You've given people have given you permission to have a conversation with them for 30, 60 minutes. No yeah. other, no other social media platform gives you that ability to do that. And I don't worry about, I don't know about you, but I don't worry about subscribers to my podcast. Like, I don't even know how to look that up. I don't even know what it is. I've, I've gotten into the top hundred and whatever right. different markets in us and Canada and all that. But I get that. I see that when it comes through, but what I do is I take my, my podcast and I cut them up into 30, 60 second clips and I post them everywhere. Yep. All the, I mean, you name it, social media, TikTok, even I got them yeah. all over the place because I want to be from what Grant told me, omnipresent. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the podcast for content for that, for training courses, uh, my book, by the way, my book is a lot of podcasts that were um, transcribed and then put into book format. So yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, that's the brilliance of it. You sit down and talk to somebody for an hour, you're going to get a hell of a lot of content. Just yep. you are. Yep. And then it takes a team of people to cut it up, produce it, and distribute it for you as well. Yep. And you got to be willing to invest in that and understand that it's not an expense, it's an investment. Heck yeah. Absolutely. When you think about where your business is headed and the podcast, what's the next big social platform or goal that you've set for you personally as well as the business? Well, the book, first of all, the book that, like I said, it's pre-launched today and it's coming out in February. That's got to be a bestseller. When I started writing that and formulated the team around me to write that book, I said, guys, we're obviously want to inspire people. That's without a doubt, but you're not going to inspire a lot of people without being a bestseller. Mm -hmm. So we need to, this has got to be a bestselling book from the cover, the name, the, the back of the book, who's writing the forward for the book. Mm -hmm. Anybody ever thought about that? I mean, and, and the person that I have to write the forward of my book, 
is a big person that I've already mentioned in this podcast. Yeah, I know. Um, and you know, so when when you do those things and you like you commit to something, then everything that follows falls in line with your commitment, or mm -hmm. it goes away from it. You got to right. decide that. So that's the big thing next right now for me is to get this book out. I'm gonna have a launch party in Miami. I'm gonna just blow it up. Mark. By the way, anybody can write a book. It's who can sell a book, who can market and promote. Yeah. A book. That's yeah. the hard part. How long did it take you to write it? I started writing. You know, my podcast started about a year or so ago. So we got some content from that. I would say I decided to start writing that book about a year and a half ago. Good for you. So, yeah. And we're just, you know, we're wrapping the finishing touches up on it now. So what are your, how old are your kids, by the way? Uh, 14 year old son, Nick, and my daughter's eight, Sophia. So Nick's pretty aware of social media. Oh yeah. What yeah. does he think of dad all over Instagram? Um, you know, he, he has this thing where he's like, not that impressed with anything. So I'll tell him things and he's like, Oh, really? Okay. And so it's kind of weird. I don't, I don't know. I, I, you know, sometimes he, I'll see him, you know, you can see some people that look at your stuff. So mm -hmm. I'll say sometimes where he'll like something or, or view it. And, but you know, I mean, it's just, I'm just going to continue to push and show him the results. And by the way, he wants to be a screenwriter and, and an actor. Good for him. And so the other day he's talking to Louis Lombardi. He was on Sopranos and 24 and Entourage. And I did a podcast with him. And afterwards he spent 30 minutes with my son talking to him about it. And so this is the things that podcasts open up, you know, yeah. opens up for you. So, so those kind of things he likes, you know, of course, of so, course, that's one that, you know, my, my wife and my oldest son asked me that they said, what are you, what are you doing this for? What are you doing the podcast for? I said, when I first started, and by the way, I, I got started naturally. I put a video up. That had a content. It was called "We Ate Some Crow Today." It went viral, and a bunch of people said, "Dude, I I listened to that all day long. You should do a podcast." And I thought about it, and then yeah, finally, yeah. I sat down and Googled, "How do you start a podcast?" <laughs> and then out you know, there, the, the info's out there if you want it. It's just a bit. It's a matter if you want it. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what it comes down to. I love the name of the show, by the way, because I've eaten a lot of crow. I've had to. Mm -hmm. Got to, you know. And then other times I've taking it and jammed it in other people's mouth because I didn't deserve to eat it at the time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's people that are eat crow. There's other people that help serve some crow. Yeah. I do both sometimes. So that's good. And so tell me about this. You're, you know, your wife's been along the journey with you. She's when, how long ago did you guys meet? I met my wife in 2001, right before September 11th. Wow. And I had a funny story. I had a friend that kept bringing this lady over and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean this up a little bit, but she, she just was a little wild. And I said, listen, you can't have her come over here. And I had this house and he was renting a room off of me. It's one, it's one of my business partners, by the way, this guy. Yeah. I said, you can't bring her over here unless she brings friends over. So she started bringing some friends one at a time over. And, and I think my wife was like the third friend she brought over. And when I came home from work that day, she was sitting on the couch and no bullshit. I saw her and I'm like, I'm marrying this girl. Now I might've said that other times possibly if I'm telling the truth, but I really didn't mean it. And you meant <laughs> I really it meant this. I really meant it. And we ended up, you know, getting married 17 and a half years later. Here well, we that's are. a great story. You obviously picked well because you know you think about your story 2008 when you're sitting in your kitchen and the shit's hitting the fan and you know, and then when you lost the, the the other business and had that money taken away, having a really solid spouse next to you is everything. Yeah, absolutely, man. She's been supportive. She's you know, she gives me shit sometimes for how much I work and and just making sure and she's holding me accountable to make sure I do pay attention to the family too, sure. which I don't mind. I don't get upset with it, but thought she's always there for me to, to talk things through or what have you, but she's got a front right, like front row seat to this journey. Like I'm yeah, Peter, when I say this, a lot of people say these things, they talk, there's a, when I say what I'm going to do, like I I've done it in the past and I'm on the way now. I, I I've always gotten, I don't want this to come off the wrong way. 
but it's important for people to understand this. I've always gotten what I wanted, Mm -hmm. not spoiled, but when I need to work for something and I go after it, I will not quit. I will, I just will keep going and going and going just like a, like, uh, I don't know how to describe it other than just relentless. And so she's got this front row seat to this and I tell her I'm going to do something. And she's like, now to the point where she doesn't like question it. (laughs) She's like, okay. You mentioned that when you met Grant Cardone, he told you to unleash the beast, right? Yeah. I mean, just through his message in general, like the 10 X rule and all that. And then, you know, I had him on the podcast and we talked and I, he just sounds just like me. What I sound like in my head. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to explain it other than that, by the way, I mean, I, just so people know, like I'm in with grant now with different like programs that we do and different things. I'm a Cardone licensee, but I've paid invested a lot of money with him mm-hmm. and that, you know, he, it's important for people to understand this. Like when you invest money, you're serious. Like if you want something for free from someone, they don't take you that seriously, you know? So when you invest money with people and you keep doing it and you show them success, and by the way, the more money I've invested, the more money I've made mm-hmm. and my team has made and lives have been changed. Don't be afraid to invest money with someone. Not, not like an investment, but I'm talking about for programs or mentorship. Sure. And what you're truly doing is investing in yourself. No doubt about it. And the others around you. Absolutely. And it's scary to people, but if we're not constantly learning and getting better, we're standing still. And, you know, there's a reason you take a class or get a certification or read a book. Hell, there's a reason you read a book is to learn something. I'm scared shitless right now, by the way. Like I, I'm scared like all the time now and it's not a bad scare. It's a good scare. It's kind of sometimes bad, but I, I I've just, I, I've, laid out some really really crazy shit that i'm going to be doing soon and i'm just thinking to myself like who the hell are you to be doing that right you know, that's that thought that goes in your head you got to beat up there's bad voice but if you're not scared shitless you're living comfortable and eventually you will start to fall somehow and i'm always trying to keep that that graph pointing up in all aspects of my life and how do your partners view your role now because your role is changing inside that company right you you're the face of the organization you're the face in a sense of an industry right now and you're the spokesperson, which means there's no way you can possibly be involved in the day-to-day the way you were. Are they embracing that? Is there like, all right, that's your role, C-Rock. You got it. We got this. How's that all yeah. come together? So we had to have a talk. And I said that, guys, I'm going to run with this. And you guys take care of the business part. And I'll be there. I'm gonna, I still in the meetings and I'm in there, you know, working, not, not on the loan level with the specific loans. But um, they agreed and they said, we got you. You're, you you know, you're. you're you're supported by us. So they're in everything I do together, like the podcast, the book, everything that we do. We got a company called People Building Inc. where we help build people. We help companies build their people. Um, they're in it with me. They're right now just taking care of the mortgage business because that's funding everything as we go. That's our main thing. Yeah. And so they're they're 100% behind me. Thank God. I mean, I appreciate everything they've done. But now that also adds to the pressure of, hey, I got to get this shit done. This ain't, this ain't, you know, a little fun hobby thing. This is something that we got to take seriously and we're going to blow up and make a big difference in this world. And so now it frees me up to be able to do that. Then we've had, we have 40 employees. So we've hired to be, put people in positions to, to run things along with Nations Lending Corporate, which is a fabulous company. Like they, they're, the, they're the best. I mean, great people. So. Well, that is unusual, right? That you've got a parent that buys into the concept. Because by the way, they're, they're winning. Every time you post something, they win. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, you're building the co-brand. So Mike, you know, the, so let's talk about the book for a minute and then we'll let you run. So when you wrote the book, 
who's the person that's listening to this podcast that says I should is I need to pick this book up? Who's sitting there and what's what's the target audience? Anybody that's ever had the feeling inside when they've had a setback, a letdown, somebody disappointed them, somebody talked trash on their dream and shot them down. That feeling, anybody that's had that feeling, you guys know it. The ones that are listening that know that, or if you don't know that feeling, let me tell you, it sucks. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's miserable and you don't ever want to go through that. So if you want to know how to eliminate that, that feeling, build the confidence it takes to understand that going forward, nothing can stop you. This is the book for you. This is going to share the stories of I've been, you know, the, the brokenness that I've been around, the people that have stolen from me and robbed me and how I've learned to never let it happen again. And if it does to use it, propel me, by the way, just recently, you know, hundred, just under hundred thousand was, was ripped off. I saw that post. And, and, you know, this is something that happened over a period of time. And I'm, I, you know, look, hundred thousand dollars, a lot of people, is a lot of money I, I, to me, I'm thinking so big right now, millions, I'm thinking millions. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing now that we're going to, we're going to take that and we're going to use it as fuel. So I told my, my partners, my team, the guys, we're not going to get upset about this because we know we can go make more money. Mm -hmm. We're going to go make more. There's plenty out there. And then, and it just, you get you in this mindset of, man, I'm, I'm unstoppable. Like Muhammad Ali had the same mindset. Mm -hmm. he, you know, I'm the greatest. He had this thing. He's like, I'm the greatest. I can't be beat. And it, that took some of his opponents out before they even fought. Oh, absolutely. So if you're looking for that unstoppable feeling, that indestructible feeling, that's the, this rocket fuels the book for you. And I'm going to put in the show notes the link to your site where they can preorder it because it yeah, comes Mike out. Yeah, Mike C-Rock. Yeah, it's Mike C-Rock with no K. Mike C-Rock.com forward slash book. Mike C-Rock.com forward slash book. And it comes out in February. Yep, it's up for sale right now, though. And it'll actually be released. If you buy it now, it comes to you in February. Well, it's a Christmas present. I'm going to get my whole team. Awesome, man. I appreciate that. Thank you. Mike, it's been a pleasure, man. I appreciate it. And we'll follow up when the book gets released and we'll we'll, we'll be following you, man. Thanks, Peter. I appreciate you having me on, man. If there's anything I can do for you, just holler. All right. Our pleasure, man.